Life's greatest asset. And I really didn't feel qualified, nor do I feel that way tonight to really handle the subject. But I do believe that there is something clear in Scripture that God has given to you and I that should be our greatest asset in life, and that is the joy of the Lord. Nehemiah uh, speaks about the joy of the Lord is our strength. The word strength there literally means defense. So it is my defense against what? Against all of the assaults that life throw at me to try to take away something that God has given me to be my help and my strength. Joy is is what helps keep life in balance, and it's what helps keep us in a balanced situation. And though, as I mentioned before, if you play Scrabble, you, you could get 13 points for joy, but in real life, the value of joy is beyond any monetary measure. I think we fail to understand just how vital joy is to our life. And I want to just read a scripture, and then we're going to get into the Word tonight. But the book of John, chapter 15, verse number 11, and I'm reading from the message translation Uh, I also have it here in the King James Version, and I'll read that first, and then we'll read. But John chapter 15 and verse number 11, he said, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. The message translation reads like this. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy, and your joy would be wholly, fully mature, that you would fully develop uh, in your life that asset that I have given to you. I was thinking today how many of the famous people of the world, entertainers that spend their lifetime making other people laugh, have often been in their own personal lives very miserable people. I think of a comedian couple of men, Abbott and Costello, uh, that made the world laugh at their gags and their one-liners, and yet they lived in constant conflict with one another because of egos and different agendas. And I, I, I know that Mark Twain, one of the famous writers, humorists of the early 1900s, uh, was known for his sharp wit, and yet it is a fact that Mark Twain in his personal life was a very miserable and destitute man in many ways because he lacked any real joy in life. We live in a troubled world. We live in a world that is filled with disappointment and sadness and disillusionment. And I believe that much of that is the result of the fact that we lack a joy to help keep us 
in balance. There is no gladness. There is no inner assurance. There is no, no confidence or a cheerfulness of heart to keep the countenance. Far too many people live under a cloud of disappointment and they go through life robbed of many of life's blessings because uh, of circumstances or people or uh, things or worry. What We mentioned those last week. And so Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, one of the most amazing letters of the New Testament, and I would encourage you to make it a regular reading. I believe that if, if you would take the book of Philippians and read it monthly, I believe it would transform your life and absorb all of the things that Paul is talking about here. And he's such an amazing man. Uh, when you consider the fact that he is in prison when he's writing this letter. He is not a free man. He's not sitting uh, under a canopy somewhere sipping a latte or enjoying the blessings of freedom and liberty, but he is bound beside a Roman guard in shackles, and yet he is writing to this church and telling them about how to live a life filled with joy and gladness. And this is what's so amazing to me about Paul is that he was determined that nothing happening to him, nothing that was happening to him was ever going to rob him of what God had given him. You know, I wish more of us had that kind of spirit and attitude that we are going to cherish what God has given to us and we're going to take it seriously and literally and we're not going to let life rob us of these blessings that God has given to us. Nineteen times in four chapters he mentions joy, rejoicing, or gladness. In spite of his danger, in spite of his discomfort, there was an overflowing gladness. And to have that, you, you've got to know something. There's, there, there's a secret somewhere to that kind of sauce. I mean, that, that's not the normal reaction to life. And yet, Paul is brimming with it. And it's not this put on. It's not this sham stuff that so many people are good at, at, at pretending. But it was genuine and real and heartfelt. He could talk about the thieves that rob us on a daily basis of circumstances or people or things or worry. And, and then in the next breath, he would tell us how we can capture that thief and how we can keep that thief from taking away from us the joy that is rightfully ours. And so in his letter to the Philippians, he shares this secret to dealing with life's joy stealers. And I mentioned them, and I mentioned them again now. Circumstances, people, things, worry, those four are the major culprits that have a way of stealing from us the joy and taking from us our greatest asset in life. And in his letter to the Philippians, Paul shares a secret and he shares, I, I feel like, his own heartbeat with them. 
And, and his secret to overcoming these things, these circumstances or things or people or worry is found in another word that is repeated often in the same letter. The word mind, M-I-N-D. It is used ten times in the book of Philippians. The word think is used five times. The word remember is once. So 16 different references are made by Paul to the mind. And so he seems to be pulling the curtain back on this uh, this thing called joy and, and sharing with us how to maintain our joy in the midst of the most trying circumstances. And the secret to Christian joy is found in the way that you and I as believers think. It's found in our attitude toward life. It is found in our view of life, how we look at life and our posture toward life. And when we have a certain posture toward life, that posture is there because of the view that we have. It's the perspective that we have on life. It's the direction that we're looking and it's the lens that we are actually looking through. It's that orientation that, uh, that, that helps me in relationship to other things. So the mind, the thinking is the key. Paul is simply echoing the words of the wise man of Proverbs 23 who said, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And if you read the book of Philippians, you will find Paul explaining the mind that a believer must have if he is to experience joy over circumstances, joy over people, joy over things, joy over worry. He gives us the mind. He tells us the mind that we must cultivate in our life that will help us maintain our greatest asset. And that is the joy that God has given to us. Once you and I have identified what is stealing our joy, then we can know how to deal with it. We know the kind of mind that we need to develop. We can determine the kind of attitude that we need to work on that will help us capture and conquer these thieves of our joy. And there are four attitudes that are mentioned. One of them is actually mentioned in each chapter. There are four chapters. And in the first chapter, Paul talks about the mind that I believe is critical above all others, and that is the single mind, the single mind. When you are dealing with life's circumstances, the greatest asset that you have is developing a single-mindedness. And this is what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1. He said, for me to live is Christ, verse 21, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. The whole point of Paul's life had nothing to do with him, but it had everything to do with Christ. And when you get that order right in your life, 
It's amazing how little life can take away from you. Circumstances cannot control you because you live for one reason. I live for Christ. I live for His purpose. I am not living to enjoy my circumstances, but I am living to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's concern was about the fellowship of the gospel, the furtherance of the gospel, the faith of the gospel. He said in chapter 3, this one thing I do. I am convinced tonight that if you and I could work more on developing that single-mindedness, it would eliminate many of the problems that we deal with in life. When you quit looking at circumstances in themselves or alone, but understand them in relationship to your walk with God, it changes everything. In other words, when you listen to Paul, you hear him say things like this, I'm not a prisoner of Rome, I'm a prisoner of Christ. I, I, I am in bonds for Christ. He, he is set, he said, for the defense of the gospel, not just simply facing a criminal trial or a civil trial, but he said, I am set for the defense of the gospel. Everything that Paul did in life, he looked at it through the lens of that one purpose, and that was to serve the Lord. When you and I stop looking at Christ through our circumstances and start looking at our circumstances through him, it will change everything in our life. Paul was able to rejoice in whatever circumstances came along because he looked at them in the light of what they would enable him to do for the kingdom of God. Strengthen the brethren, defend the gospel, lead somebody to the Lord. That single-mindedness allowed him to overcome every inconvenience, every uncomfortable circumstance Every painful ordeal that he would have to go through, he was able to work through it and work past it. The single mind allows the circumstances of life to work for me, not against me. I pray God would help us tonight to develop that single-minded. As chapter 2, he leads us on to understand that another mind that is important to develop is the submissive mind. The submissive mind. He said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Chapter 2. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. There is something to be said about a mind that is submitted, a mind that is surrendered. When you have a surrendered mind, people cannot get 
to you. When you learn to live for Christ first, and you learn to put others second, and you put yourself third, that is the secret of real joy. People will cease to aggravate you when you learn to put yourself last. The reason for conflict in our world right now is because two people want the same thing. Amen. That's what I, I read the story of, of, of two boys that were uh, walking. Uh, I believe they were Abraham Lincoln's two sons walking with them and they were fighting and arguing. Somebody said, what are they fighting and arguing about? And he said, I'll tell you what they're fighting about. They're fighting about what everybody in the world's fighting about. I have three acorns in my pocket and they both want two of them. And so it is. The reason for much conflict in life is because people want to be first. But Paul said, you know what? This is not about me. This is about him. I serve the Christ. When we get our focus right, this creates life greatest synergy. And it gives us our greatest strength. When we stop expecting life to serve us, and we stop expecting others to serve us, and we look in, re- in, 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 in retrospect, we look back and we say, no, I am here to serve. I am here not to be served, but to be a servant. When you take that kind of attitude, you take the sting out of what people can do to you because they can't hurt you. And Jesus proved our example. And Paul became our example. And Timothy, you can read it in chapter 2. Ephroditus is mentioned here. All of these men were men who were able to put others before themselves. And that comes when you can surrender your mind. When life quits being about you. When life, everything doesn't have to orbit around your little world. There's a world bigger than that. And when you get your eyes on something bigger and get it off of little you and start looking at big him, big, the, 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 the one thing that you need to have your eyes on, it will change everything in your life. The third mind that Paul mentions in the third chapter is, we call it the spiritual mind. Eleven times in chapter 3, he uses the word things in reference to life. Most people mind earthly things. Most people are affected by earthly things. But we should be more concerned about heavenly things, not things of this earth. And so when we begin to work on a spiritual mind, it will allow you and I to look at things of this world from a different perspective, from heaven's point of view. And if you can ever get a glimpse of it from heaven's point of view, it changes everything. It changes the whole dynamics of your life. The quest for things is what robbing so many people of their joy right now. They have to have this. They've got to have that. They've got to have more. They've got to have greater. They cannot have it. They're unhappy. And they're, and everybody around them's unhappy. We want to possess things, but more often than not, they become the possessor of us. 
if we could learn to cultivate a spiritual mind. These are the verbs that describe that life. He counts the right thing. He presses toward the right goal. He looks toward the right direction. When you get your mind off of yourself and you get it focused on Him, and you get it focused on others, you are submitted. I'm not here to be served. I am here to serve. That is my goal. That is my joy. You will find that people cannot hurt you. It doesn't matter what they say. You know what? I'm just a servant of the Lord. I'm just here to do what I can for the kingdom of God. And then the fourth mind, and I'm going to close with this, is found in chapter 4. And it's the mind that helps us with that ugly thing called worry. All of us are affected at some point in life with worry. There's a lot to worry about in our world right now. But worry is what strips us of our sleep. It's what keeps us from resting and it keeps us from living a life of peace. And worry is simply wrong thinking and wrong feelings about circumstances or about people or about things or about issues. It's, it, it, it is wrong thinking. It is faith in reverse. It is not healthy either. What guards the heart is the key to a secure mind, a mind that is not afraid. And if you have your Bibles near you, you ought to turn to the fourth chapter and listen to what he said in verse number 7, Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 7. And he said, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren... Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there's going to be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. What guards my heart tonight is the peace that passeth all understanding. Here are the resources that you'll find in chapter 4 that Paul mentioned. Peace, God's power, God's provision. With those resources, why shouldn't we be filled with joy? Why should we worry? If we know that we have God's peace that acts as a guardian over our life, it will keep, the peace of God will keep you. It will guard you like a century guards a city. The power of God that is available. Read verses 10 through 13 where he talks about the power of God. Verses 14 through 23, he talks about the provision of God. These resources God has given to you and I so that we would not have to worry or be fretful. The peace of God that comes to us when we pray in the right spirit. And when we think in the right way, and when we live in the right way. Four minds 
that can transform the four joy stealers of life and give us back our joy. Victory over circumstances. Victory over people. Victory over things. Victory over worry. It's a secure mind. It's a guarded mind. It's a kept mind. It's a spiritual mind. It's a submitted mind. Oh yes, yes, it's a one mind. It is a a single mind. Those are the things that will help you and I more than anything that I know of regain the joy that God has given to us for life to help balance it, to give us peace in the midst of troubled times. If we could learn how to work on that right mind. God help me cultivate the right mind and attitude. I want to have the right disposition. I, I want to have the right perspective when I'm looking out. I, I want to have the right orientation to life. I, I don't want to live where life revolves only around my little world and around me. I, I, want a, I want to lift my eyes to a broader horizon and realize that I have an opportunity to serve. I have an opportunity to give. And my circumstances, God has allowed them in my life to help develop me. And so instead of letting them use me, I'm going to learn how to use them to draw closer to Him, to be more like Him. Surrender your mind on a daily basis and you will discover joy comes back. That if you and I could learn to surrender our minds every day, I want a single mind. I want a secure mind. I want a spiritual mind. Amen. I want a submissive mind. I I want to be a servant. You're going to find joy come flooding back into your soul. You're going to find an inner peace that passeth all understanding. You're going to rediscover life's greatest asset for your life. And that is the joy of the Lord. I don't know how to define it exactly, but I do know when I have it. And I want you to have it. And I pray that you will as you work on it. Read the book of Philippians. Read it again and again over the next few weeks. And just ask the Lord, fill my mind. Begin to develop my mind. Cultivate my thoughts, Lord, so that they flow in alignment with your word. And watch the joy come flowing back into your life. Amen. God bless you tonight. I love you dearly. I miss you. It's not the same when you're not here. Look forward to seeing you this coming weekend. You have a blessed night in Jesus' name.